I know it's been a few weeks, but not just because I've been out, but we also had Rob uh, Sanders preach to us uh, and teach us right after camp. So, you know, we'll get back in our study of First Timothy uh, today and, you know, this, this premise that the approach that we've been taking is a guide to spiritual maturity. And today we're going to be talking about something that probably impacts all of us to some degree. And... Um, Generally, when we come across this verse, there is a, uh, a focus one direction. I'm actually going to focus a completely different direction. I think that'll come clear in just a moment. But uh, I, I do have a, a question for you before I do the handouts. Um, if you had chronic back pain, would you consistently take a pain reducer, an Advil, a Tylenol, or something to help? So some people would. So, so I've already seen some people shaking their head no, and I've seen some people nodding their head yes. Like, yeah, if I had back pain, I'd, I'd take an Advil. But other people are like, no, I wouldn't do that consistently. I wouldn't do it chronically or, or, or all the time. But the reality is, uh, I love you all, but I don't care how you answer this question. And you say, well, that's a, a really odd way to start uh, a message. Well, it, I think you'll understand why I say that in just a second. You've got to do you relative to how you manage your pain. I saw a deal on Facebook this last week, and it's one of those Muppets. I, it's the meme where the Muppet, I don't know, it's a Muppet, and he's kind of like doing one of these. You guys know, I meant to pull it up, you know, where it's kind of like uh, doing the side eye, like, you know, and it says, the doctor, uh, do you have any pain? Me, just the normal amount. And the doctor, normal amount is zero. Um, so like normally what you should have is zero pain, but me, I've got normal, you know, I've got the normal amount of pain is kind of an embarrassing moment for, for, you know, in the meme, right? Some people live in a constant state of some level of pain, right? And they deal with that different ways. And we're going to dig into that today. And so, um, you know, we, it brings us really to this First Timothy 5.23. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake, and then often infirmities. And, and like I mentioned, a lot of people, uh, when they come to this... Um, Tom, could I have you kind of coordinate that? When they come to this verse, where do they focus? Where do they camp on the wine, right? We're actually not even going to talk about wine, except for the extent that it acts medicinally. Um <coughs> But I do find it kind of interesting as Timothy is growing in his spiritual walk that Paul addresses this. That Paul actually takes the time to memorialize in a letter to Timothy something so practical as taking a little wine, a little medicine within this context for his stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. So... So obviously, and I will touch on the wine component just for a moment, wine would have alcohol in it, duh. The alcohol could kill bugs in the stomach because at its core, that's what alcohol does. When you pour it on a, a wound, it, it kills the bacteria, right? When you ingest uh, digestible alcohol, um, it also does the same thing. It can kill bacteria in, in your gut, so to speak. I don't know the ins and outs on that. I'm not, make, I'm not passing judgment on whether it kills the right kinds of bacteria or not. But my point is I know what alcohol does at a cellular or at a chemical level. And what Paul is saying is this could be a solution for your, your stomach, 
right? And you're often infirmities. Um, but which is right? What we just saw, using a little wine for thine often infirmities, or what Paul records in 2 Corinthians 12, 8, 8 through 10, when he's talking about his own thorn in the flesh, when he says, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, Take a little wine. No, he said, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. I'm actually not going to treat it. I'm going to glory in what God is doing, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my in infirmities and reproaches and necessities, perse- persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And and ultimately, that is, I think, a really important part, and I my uh, a really important part of what Paul is trying to communicate to Timothy is that Timothy is not Timothy's not here yet. Timothy Timothy's here, right? And it's okay. That's called growth, and that's called maturity. Now, they're probably different things. Whatever Paul was dealing with if he really thought maybe taking a little wine could solve it, he, he would. So it's it's a bit of a false paradigm. I, I will admit that the contrast here is not true, uh, true apples to apples. There's probably some apple and orange contrast going on here. But I just want to, to show you that there are different ways to deal with the infirmities in your life. Okay. There are different ways. So why? So so let's let's spend some time. Why do infirmities even exist okay so you have some fill in the blanks here i think why do infirmities even exist well the first is because we sinned right in genesis 3 16 and 17 uh, after the fall of man and woman he said it, you know god's saying unto the woman i will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception and in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children the, the, the nature of childbirth is now changed. And unto Adam, he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree, uh, in sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. You're literally going to have to work. You're going to have to work amidst thorns. You're going to have to, 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 to um, harvest and farm amongst thistles. Uh, having been there, done that, uh, thorns and thistles ain't fun. My, uh, I hope this doesn't gross you out. I was not intending to gross you out, but my uncle years ago, he's now passed away. My uncle was weeding around some thorn, uh, around some roses, and got a thorn in his eye. Like it's gonna happen. Infirmities come at us, right? And and he ended up being okay. I mean, it was. It, stunk and hurt and had to get medical attention, but he ended up being okay. He didn't lose his eyesight or anything. My point is, we we are going to live in the midst of pain. Like That's the caveat that I put about the cleaning day on Saturday. Don't bring your kids because, you know, and honestly, I probably should have said, make sure you're up on your tetanus shot. Like, like it's a thing. We got to deal with infirmities. We got to deal with pains that come upon us, that develop. Uh, I had a boss previously that said he knew he officially was getting old when he woke up injured. Like, I am starting to feel that. There are times when I wake up, it's like, how did I get hurt? I wasn't dreaming a dream where I was running. I wasn't fighting someone in Mortal Kombat. Like, I just woke up and my leg hurts. 
How is that even possible? Well, it's because we sin, right? We live in a sinful state. But also infirmities, and this is, this is the part where we've got to be real careful because if we're not careful, God enjoys putting pain on us for a purpose. And that's not how this went down. Because of our sin, because of this first thing, he now can just, he's a master at this. He can take that which is not good and turn it into something good, okay? And he's really, really good at it. So we draw to Jesus, closer to Jesus, or can because of our infirmities. Look at Luke 5.15. But so much the more went uh, there a fame abroad of him, Jesus, of course, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. Literally, people sought Jesus because he had a solution. God loves to do that. He loves to be a solution God, a reconciling God, a, a problem-solving God. But he also shows us sufficiency. He also shows us sufficiency through this. Because he also, like, literally... And I actually thought about doing this, and you guys might say I'm stupid, but I thought about taking a hammer and smashing my thumb today. Because, not really hard, but hard enough for it to hurt. I'll do it on Saturday at the work day. It's fine. It is a little crazy. That's ultimately why I didn't do it, because I'm not crazy that way. But pain is very temporary. In the light of eternity... The amount of pain that we feel, even if we have a whole life full of pain, is a snapshot, just a, a little blip in light of eternity, okay? So the pain, so, so those of us who have, have had kids and we've had to discipline them by applying uh, pressure to their backside, right? We imply, <laughs> apply some, some pain, some temporary pain, controlled, not abusive pain to the backside so that they learn the lesson. Are you a bad parent? No, I'd actually argue that you're a good parent, right? So God does the same thing. He allows infirmities in our life or he uses those infirmities to draw us to Jesus, but also to show that he is sufficient. We got to play the long game. We're not playing for the pain that we might endure for the next 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. We're playing for the long game. For 2 Corinthians 11.30. If I must needs glory, I will glory in the things which confirm my infirmities. Like, uh, that is where Paul was willing to say, whatever I glory in is my insufficiency. Because that shows that God is sufficient. Right? I mean, that's a beautiful, beautiful uh, port, uh, pic picture, Right? But it goes further than that, to show his glory. I had a buddy uh, years ago, 25-ish years ago, who asked me, why do bad things happen to good people, right? You've had that conversation. Well, sometimes, and you have to be careful, and this is a part where it sound, can sound kind of weird, like God is a sadist, I think, is that the right term, where he likes to apply pain to people for, for his own, like that's not how that works. Like we can't do that to God. But look, when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Like literally in the midst of this, um, you know, death, subsequent death, right, of Lazarus and resurrection, there was a lot of emotional pain going on there. 
Lazarus actually dies. He's saying that in light of the fact that he wants to be, he wants to point the glory to God. And if you're not careful and you just say, well, the bad things happen to good people because God gets glory out of it. Well, that sounds like God's a really mean God. I mean, you got to you got to frame it up right. He allows things to draw people to him so that he can show himself sufficient so that he can show the big gate picture that he's preparing you for a home in heaven, not for a home here. Like that's literally when people die who've been dealing with chronic disability, chronic illness. What do we say? They left their body behind. Like that's a tangible hope that we have when that happens. To enable ministry to others, Romans 15:1. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Like I don't help people that need my help so that I feel good. Like that is literally part of the problem in society today is people actually feel like the the feeling they get from helping somebody is a justification for changing the rules. That's not how it works. According to Romans, I don't get to do it to please myself. I get to do it to be a blessing. <laughs> like it's because I want to help them, but to God be the glory, right? In 1 Corinthians 2, 3, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, like, we went through this together. And there is something very special. There is something very powerful. There is something very um, connecting at a very spiritual level when you cry with someone, when you hurt with someone, when you, when you connect with someone in pain and in that time, like I've had that, I've, I've sat with people who are, you know, who've lost the loved ones. I've sat with, with people, I've, I've been one of the people someone sat with me. I mean, I, when, when we lost Michelle's brother who I had discipled, I can still, I can still remember the hug that my buddy gave me. I, could, I can close my eyes, I could take you to the point within probably three inches of where I was standing and how much that meant to me. Like, that's a thing. That's a thing. But ultimately, ultimately, it's to point to a Savior. Look at Matthew 18, or Matthew 8, rather, verse 17. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Esaias uh, the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. He himself, he, he took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. This is literally part of the salvation component is the fact that someday my body will be saved like my spirit and soul are now. Like I'm seated in heavenly places, but also standing in front of you. Someday my physical flesh will be redeemed. And so... I can't, no matter, forgive the joke, but it is the context of the passage, no matter how much wine I take, I can't solve my infirmity, which is actually part of the reason sometimes people imbibe, right? It's actually part of, how many times have you heard somebody say, well, I self-medicate? Well, what they don't, they don't just mean they're taking a little bit of wine for their stomach's sake. They're taking wine to cope, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the part where, and I am going to like, okay, Stepping up on my soapbox just for a second. 
Like, please don't get a shirt that says wine and Jesus. Okay? That's not it. Like, I don't care if you drink wine, but you've just equated wine with helping you cope through life like Jesus. Like, that's not okay. I, the, my scripture, the scripture I read <laughs> calls that an idol, calls that a god. Like, and that, like, no. Coffee and Jesus is darn close to wine and Jesus. I'm not going to lie. Uh, but thank you for the clarification to the man who just got done preparing all the coffee. <laughs> He's looking for validation of his ministry. But it's the point to a savior. We Just like the law shows us we're insufficient of ourselves, like physician, heal thyself. Like you can't. Like, literally, I can't solve the, okay, could I solve the problem? I cut my finger, I step on the nail, can I, can I treat it, and can my body take care of it? Yeah, yeah, but I don't, like, cognitively think, okay, send antibodies to my toe, and, you know what I mean? Like, all of that happens because of the way God, I can't do that. I can't solve that problem myself. So all, there is a reason for infirmities. There is a reason for them. And they fall into three categories. Mental, physical, and spiritual. Now you have a little, I, you know, I couldn't do color on your, on your deal, so I think I put little lines there. So you can tie the physical or spiritual or mental. You, you should be able to put like in your little writing there if you choose. But look at Luke 7, 21. And in that same hour, he cured many of their infirmities. Well, infirmities could be any number of things. What were the infirmities? Well, and plagues. The last time I checked, plagues were caused by a bacteria or a virus or something. Like, don't, this is not like biology class. Don't judge me that I don't know how plagues are like <laughs> transmitted. But, but you get the point. They're microbes, I think. They're, they're a thing, right? But he cures them of a physical concept, a plague. But he also does it of evil spirits, which is a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual infirmity. And in many that were blind, he gave sight. So he's specifically calling out one particular physical infirmity. Okay, you guys with me so far? Yes. I know you're writing and catching up. So Luke 8, 2, and certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, because we don't, infirmities is a very broad term. We don't know specifically which that is, but we do know that evil spirits is a spiritual matter. Mary Mag, uh, called Magdalene, of whom went out seven devils. Clearly a spiritual infirmity, okay? Luke 13, and behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity. So I believe this is, again, a little bit of a uh, you know a little bit of a push on the King James here. I think the wording here matters. Okay, a spirit of infirmity, not a spirit that produced infirmities. It's a spirit of infirmity. Eighteen years, she had this tendency to think she was sick, but she wasn't necessarily physically sick. She had a spirit of infirmity. Okay. 
But notice, and I'm just a little placeholder here, and could in no wise lift herself up. We'll revisit that in just a second. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. Actually, the concept of the mental state of feeling like she was always sick. Deuteronomy 28.65 Among those nations shalt thou find no ease, neither shall the sole of thy foot have rest. But the Lord shall give thee there a trembling heart, a mental infirmity, failing of the eyes, physical infirmity, and sorrow of mind, mental infirmity. So you can even see in this one, the trembling heart, fear, right? Sorrow of mind is more like depression. Those are two different things. I can be fearful of things and I can be depressed over things. Those are very, very different. So God actually says that he's going to use these concepts. He's going to use these concepts in your life, but to do the things that we've already looked at in the previous slides that you have on your note, to draw you closer, to show you he's sufficient, to get glory out of your life when you overcome them, for you to minister to other people who have them once you've come over them. Remember, can't lose sight of our of our approach to 1 Timothy. This is a guide to spiritual maturity. You want to grow spiritually, you have to get past these infirmities so you can now leverage them for ministry to others. Okay? We'll be patient with you. It's taken me a long time to get over some of my infirmities. I'm still not done. <laughs> Like, it's going to take time. We'll take the journey together. We'll be patient. But we're going we're gonna to claim the victories when they happen. We're going to know that he's at work when they happen. And we're going to praise the Lord and share with each other when they happen. So notice that infirmities can actually lead to other infirmities. You knew there had to be a graphic, right? Mm. You were waiting for the graphic. Here's the yeah. graphic. All right. So infirmities can lead to, so, so look at Proverbs 15, 13. I think it's on your page. A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. So my mental state, because heart is really a, a, an expression of, of my mental state, a mental state can lead to a positive physical countenance or outward manifestation. Inversely, or uh, the other, the contrast to that, but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. So mental, physical, and spiritual can all impact each other. I'm using this as just an example, okay? Just an example. If mentally I have repressed grief, grief is a good thing. And you say, wow, that's, that's a hard statement to make. It's a good thing to help you cope with and process loss. It's appropriate to grieve after you lose someone, for instance. But if you repress that grief, you don't work through that grief, uh, it can turn into bitterness, right? You might be bitter at the person who left. If they took their own life. You might be bitter at God for taking them. You might be bitter at the, the, the driver that hit their car or what, what, what right? I mean, you, you, you can see the situation. You might be bitter at the health system for not healing them, whatever. Repressed grief can cause bitterness. It could also create Headaches, just as, and it's just kind of a trite, a little bit of a trite example. But some people that go into the doctor and oh, I've got this chronic headache. Well, what's the problem? Well, I don't know. Well, here's medicine. Well, maybe 
we need to take a step back and solve for one of these other things, right? Mm -hmm. I'm far from a doctor, okay? I, have, I did stay at Holiday Express on our vacation, though, so it's kind of like a doctor. <laughs> it's been a while since they've had that commercial, but I, it still means a lot to me. Are you a doctor? No, but I did stay at Holiday Express last night. Um, these things overlap, or they can lead to each other, but they can also overlap. Notice that mental and physical together, repressed grief and headaches, they can actually overlap and create a whole third concept. Right? Uh, maybe the, the better illustration is bitterness, spiritual and mental, like could lead to depression, right? Like I could have written depression here, right? Because if you don't resolve the mental and you don't deal with the spiritual, whichever one came first, that can lead to a whole nother, whole other rather thing. The same with spiritual and physical. Like there are people who are, have been, for instance, possessed of devils or oppressed of devils who can't do certain things. Here's the cue to go back up and look at Luke 13. I think you have it on your page. Luke 13, I said, hold this thought. We'll come back to it. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift herself up. There's no evidence that there's a physical infirmity here. Her spirit of infirmity has literally paralyzed her physically and it's a real thing like you can't just say buck up little camper and stand her up she would fall over and i'm not again i'm not trying to be silly or trite like it's a real thing but that would probably fall into this category she had a or, well or maybe it was a mental it's probably fall into this physical and mental category where she had a spirit of infirmity that was now manifesting itself in a very physical condition in a very physical uh, appearance. So I put on your, you know, a mental can lead to a spiritual or physical, or a spiritual could lead to a mental or physical. Like, it can go all over. And the worst thing is to be here in the middle. Yes. There's a lot of, there's a lot of layers to pack, unpack yeah. on that. And unlike Donkey and Shrek, who says, I like cake, or layers, because cakes have layers, this is more like onions than having layers. You've got to peel back the layers of what's going on to get to the core issue. Again, that may actually take professional help, whether that's professional counseling help, pastoral help, we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But trying to get out from this and deal with, for instance, in this case, if we could go and just deal with the repressed grief, in my little example, if we could deal with this, maybe some of the other things solve themselves, okay? I think you're tracking me. Looks like it. So healing these infirmities. There are three ways generally to approach healing. I've put them into three categories. Medicinally, medically. We see it in our passage that we're reviewing today, 1 Timothy 2, 5.23. A little wine. Like a little wine might help whatever going, whatever's going on in his gut. Because it'll probably kill the body. Remember, they didn't have water filtration. He's like, drink no longer water because that actually might be propagating your problem, Timothy. You're now on the mission field in a different part of the world than you grew up in. And there are different bugs. Take a little wine. That might help you, right? I have, I have been 
I've had the wonderful opportunity to travel on mission fields and bottled water is a good thing. And you say, well, why is it that this guy from the United States of America can't drink the water in Bogota, Colombia that everybody else drinks? I mean, it's not like I'm better than them. Why do I only drink bottled water? Well, it's got bugs in it that their body can fight because they've grown up there, right? Their body has accommodated to it as they've grown. Right? But my body doesn't have those bugs. It's literally the same kind of thing that happened to the Native Americans in the United States as the, quote, white man came and spread diseases that they didn't have good resistance for. Right? Same kind of concept. So Timothy is dealing with, hey, I need to medicinally attack this problem. Or Paul's recommending that. Luke 10, 34, and, uh, and some went to him, and, and uh, or, oh, I'm sorry, in 10, 34, this is a good Samaritan, right? He goes to the guy that's been hurt. He went in and bound up his wounds. Look at this, pouring in oil and wine. Literally, this dude is laying, remember, he, after he's laying on the side of the road. A couple of folks have already passed him by. He's bleeding. He's probably not, unfortunately, he's rubbed some dirt in it. I'll put it that way at this point, right? So he's probably been bleeding and probably has microbes and things from the ground. Who knows what's gone on? He was probably a, he was traveling in this example, so he was sweaty, right? Like this is not a sterile environment. So one of the first things that the Good Samaritan does is treats the potential infection site by pouring in oil and wine. Like he's trying to kill potential infections. That's a medicinal action, right? God's give us, given us those things that are perfectly appropriate. Look at Isaiah 38, 21. For Isaiah had said, let them make a lump of figs and lay it, upon, uh, lay it for a plaster upon the boil and he shall recover. Now there's some spiritual things and potentially some supernatural things going on here, but the ability of a leaf especially a prepared leaf, to draw out an infection from a boil is well documented. Like, that's not that weird. We do it nowadays. If you have like a, an abscess or something, they will irrigate it, usually with a saline to wash it out, and they'll put uh, some sort of gauze or something in there to wick out the, the infection, right? But that, that kind of concept literally... You can take, and I'm not suggesting, like, if you have an abscess, don't go buy some Fig Newtons and try to do this at home. <laughs> That's not my point. Like, it doesn't work the same way. That is not the instructions. But there is a way to pull some of that infection out, okay, medicinally. These are just some examples from Scripture. The second is supernaturally. Supernaturally. And I've seen some of this. Not like big deal supernaturally, but I do believe through power of prayer and different things, there's times when God has intervened in a very supernatural way and healed someone that otherwise there's no explanation. It's much more rare than applying alcohol to a wound. <laughs> like, like if I cut myself on Saturday, you probably think I'm more spiritual than I am, but if I cut myself on Saturday, I will pray as I'm pouring alcohol on my wound, like or peroxide. Like, I'm probably still gonna, I'll probably pray, but I'll be like, God, this hurts so much to get away. But because I'm a little bit of a wuss like that, 
but I will also be putting peroxide on it. Like, like there, the practicality of, of, of treating yourself medicinally is fine. And starting there, not you're not leaving God out, but because just the, the frequency. I think there there is an order here, uh, that I, a subtle order that I'm trying to communicate. And great multitudes came unto him, having um, with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, which sounds a little harsh. I hope they laid them down more uh, at Jesus' feet. And he healed them. And he healed them. Jesus is in the business of doing that. Like, he loves showing himself strong on your behalf. He loves it. Because what's that do? That draws you to him. Draws you into the relationship. In Acts 28.8, and obviously there's a ton of supernatural healings that Jesus did, but in Acts 28.8, and it came to pass that the father of um, Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux, right? To whom, fall, uh, to whom Paul entered in, prayed, and laid his hands on him, and healed him. Like, boom. That's a big deal. To have... Um, a fever and a bloody flux. I'm not even sure I didn't take the time to study out this bloody flux, but that doesn't sound like something I'm signing up for, right? Gross. Sounds gross. I agree. <laughs> but supernatural, so there's medicinal healing. It's very reasonable to take a, to take Advil for your back. To go back to the first question, it's, for, it's very reasonable. Especially if Saturday you don't get a, a nail in your foot, but you've carried a lot of wood and now you're sore. Like, it's okay to take an aspirin or whatever, right? It's all right. Sometimes God acts supernaturally and heals you. But look at this. This ultimately leads to the third approach of healing, which is why I put it in, in quotes. Healing, sometimes you just have to trust that God's at work, which is what we saw in 2 Corinthians. I'll jump to the second reference first. 2 Corinthians 9.10, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient. I'm not going to heal you. My grace is sufficient. Do you trust me? My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. And in Matthew 9, 2, And behold, they brought him um, to a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, and thy sins be forgiven thee. Okay? Now you say, wait a second, that's a supernatural healing. It is. But it's by faith for someone else. Okay? So faith or grace may simply be enough. Okay? Faith or grace may be enough. And I would argue, and I'm going to advance back up here a little bit, just if you're asking me, I'm starting by taking an aspirin. If that doesn't do it, I'm actually going to ask God to take it away supernaturally. And if that doesn't do it, then I'm going to trust that he's at work. I mean, I know that's like way simple. And it's way more complicated than that. And there's a lot more of emotions. And there's a lot more frustration. And it's part of the spiritual battle, and etc. I get it. But that's generally the flow. So in the time we have remaining, you know, the process of seeking healing, try that which is reasonable. Like, go to the doctor. It's okay. I'm not going to tell you not to. Try the medicine that they su suggest. But be mindful. Sometimes doctors, I mean, doctors are people, and they are influenced by things. Sometimes doctors say, here, just take these pills. I have a, a, a dear, dear friend who's now a retired physician who said he believes in, the, in, in medicine today we've lost the art of diagnosis. 
that we throw medicines and treatment at things hoping you know with the with the greatest probability that one of those will work as compared to really diagnosing the problem and saying oh this is not what you need this is what you need right that that art is is kind of failing uh, within medicine and I you know I can't refute it I can't I, I guess I can't even support it but I generally suggest yeah go to a doctor but if when you walk away from the doctor if the Holy Spirit infuses like I'm not sure that's the right treatment. It's okay. See another doctor. <laughs> they are not gods. <laughs> they are trained individuals who can make mistakes. Or, or if it's a mental or spiritual kind of, of, of situation, go to a counselor or a pastor. That's okay. Like, we don't need to jump right into, hey, take this antidepressant. Like, let's maybe unpack whatever was going on there, and maybe we can heal through a different pathway. That's very reasonable. Or, or prayer. Look at this in Isaiah 38. It's actually one of my more kind of favorite tactical passages in Scripture. Isaiah 38, 1, 1 through 5. And in those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. But notice what Hezekiah does. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed unto the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. It's okay. It's okay to cry in that situation. Then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah, saying, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of uh, David, thy father, I have heard thy prayer and I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will add unto thy days 15 years. Like, it's okay to seek the Lord in prayer for that. It's, it's perfectly fine. Hezekiah did it. And he literally added 15 years to his life. Literally. Did he, did he ultimately heal him? Well, probably not because I think Hezekiah is dead today. But he delayed for purpose that which Hezekiah asked for. But just like it is appropriate to try that which is reasonable, and this might be the hook, and this is, this is the part where I'm, I'm going to step on some toes. I just think I am. So you might want to put your toes up on your chair so that they're not your toes. Don't become unreasonable. Don't become unreasonable. Look at these two passages that are unreasonable. Mark 5, 26 through 20, or 25 through 26. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians. She literally was worse because she had seen so many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. Literally, when that situation, when she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment, right? For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the plague. Like, she came to the end because... Nobody on the face of the earth can help her except the Son of God. Like, don't be unreasonable. Don't waste your life savings. Don't chase after this and chase after this and chase after this. And I read this on the internet and this person said that. It's like, you know what? Maybe if she would have just had faith earlier, because at the end of the day, I don't think it was actually touching the garment that was the issue. I think it was the faith. Right? So, I maybe she could have avoided 
11 and a half years of crud. I don't know. John 5, 5, and a certain man who was there, which had an infirmity gulp 30 and 8 years, when Jesus saw him lie, and he knew that he had been now a long time in that case, saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? And the impotent man said, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me in the pool, right? Uh, but when I am coming, another steppeth down before me, right? So every season, the angel would come down, stir the pool, and the first person that got in would get healed. The dude had 38 years of trying and failing, yet he, well, definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Like literally, 38 years of this guy's life was wasted, holding on to a hope that obviously didn't ever even come to fruition. I mean, Jesus intervened. So don't become unreasonable. Don't be unreasonable. It just, it, look, we've all got our stuff. Some of our stuff is more important or bigger or more painful or more impacting or, or yay, maybe even life-threatening. Like, it may shorten your life. I, for that, I really am sorry. I really... I pray that you approach it like Hezekiah. I pray that you turn your face to the wall and beg God to give you more years of ministry because I love you and I want to be around you. But at the end of the day, this is a spiritual matter. All of the things that you're dealing with physically are a spiritual matter to draw you closer to the Lord. And he wants to be your healer. He wants to be your healer. So there's two solutions here. The ultimate healing, return to the Lord. I appreciate a dear friend shared this with me this week, and I just had to steal it. It wasn't mine, but God used him to provide it to me. Why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable, which refuseth to be healed? Like, I got this thing, and it won't go away. Wilt thou be altogether unto me as a liar and as waters that fail? Therefore, thus saith the Lord. So, so literally, the challenge to God is... Are you going to be like a liar? Are you going to not come through? Therefore, thus saith the Lord, if thou return, return to me, then will I bring thee again, and thou shalt stand before me. And if thou take forth the precious from the vial, thou shalt be as my mouth. Let them return unto thee, but not thou unto them. I mean, there's obviously more going on there with Jeremiah as a prophet. But just return to the Lord. And, and you say, well, I've been coming to church every week. I've been coming to Tuesday night. I'm discipling. But maybe you need to return to the Lord for this purpose, right? And then ultimately, come boldly. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Literally, Jesus took on us our infirmities. We, we, we almost always put that under the category of sin, right? He, he bore our sin, and that's true, doctorally. But he also took your infirmities, like all of it. You literally can lay that and trust that, that Christ has paid the price for that. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need, even in the midst of infirmity even in the midst of infirmity. So it brings us to our one and only discipleship to decision today. He is in the business of healing. Will you trust him? Will you? That's really what it comes down to. He's in the business of healing and healing may look like six feet under the ground. I know that sounds a little harsh. 
but I, so I don't remember the verse right off the top of my head. Michelle should have it written down somewhere because it's what I want on my grave, on my, my headstone, that I will arise and I will be like him for, you know, I will see him as he is because I will be like him. I've totally butchered the verse, but it's, <laughs> I am going to be. Psalm 1715, what's it say? As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. When I awake with thy likeness. That doesn't mean tomorrow when I wake up. That means when I wake up in glory, I will be like him. And all the infirmities will be gone. And I will no longer have to take a little wine for my stomach's sake. Or NyQuil to get a good night's sleep. Or pour peroxide in the, in the foot where I stepped on the nail. Like, all of it is going to be better. Play the long game. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for what I believe to be a very clear message. Uh, and I don't say that because I prepared it. I say that because you gave it to me. Uh, Lord, that you are in the work of not just healing our sins, but healing our infirmities. And, and Lord, thank you for that. Thank you that we have, um, we have such an example in Jesus coming and living on this earth and, and, and arising above the infirmities, rising above the challenges that we have and coming through and providing for us in a very tangible way. Thank you for healing where you've healed. Thank you for the grace where you've chosen not to heal, but just draw us close to you. We love you. And, and for those, Lord, who don't know you as Savior, they don't have this, this confidence. And, Lord, I just pray that you use your spirit to convict of sin, of righteousness, and of, of judgment so that they can see that the infirmities they have can, in fact, be healed through a Savior. Lord, uh, just compel them to seek uh, counsel on that front. Lord, we love you. We look forward to how you'll continue to teach us and use us in all the opportunities this week, whether it's faxing or prayer on Tuesday night or helping around here on Saturday. And Lord, we love you and thank you and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.